Good morning and welcome to Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and today we're going to be talking about the forest products industry, uh, the recent past, the distant past, but more particularly uh, the future. And our first guest is Dana Duran, who is the executive director of the Professional Logging Contractors of Maine. And we're going to talk about, uh, well, first, Dana, let's start out with a little history, or at least recent history. Talk to me about what's happened in the forest and in the forest products industry in the last four or five years. Sure, I'd be happy to, Senator, and thanks very much for, for including me this morning and for uh, drawing so much attention to this, uh, this issue, not only this morning as we talk now, but all, uh, obviously over the last uh, 12 months in your attention to this. Um, you know, it's not, uh, I don't look at it as a lot of fun to talk about this issue because certainly it's not uh, not all good news, but you know, just giving a brief summary, you know, if we go back 24 months, Maine has seen the loss of five major pulp and paper factories, predominantly in the Penobscot River, but extending westward to Madison. Uh, there were two biomass electric facilities that shut down, but have now fortunately restarted within the last two months. And then, of course, the pellet industry has taken it on the nose, predominantly because of low fossil fuel prices and uh, ultra ultra warm winter in 2015-16. So what that uh, surmises to is the loss of about 2 million tons of softwood pulp resource that has not been harvested and utilized in, in, the, in main factories, and about 2 million tons of biomass has also not been consumed. So, you know, and if we extend that back to about uh, 48 months, then we bring in the Great Northern Paper in East Millinocket, and so we add that as a sixth a sixth uh, component of the of the industry that has gone down. So obviously well, the news has not been good. When we had a uh, we had a federal economic development guy in Maine about a year and a half ago, uh, uh, he had the bad luck to need a ride to the Portland airport f uh, for me, and so I had him in the car for about an hour and a half. And I told him it was like a slow motion hurricane that this was really like a natural disaster. Uh, that was an economic hurricane. And, and I, I think what, what's important is to also remind people, when you talk about a mill closing or even a, a paper machine going down, there are huge ripple effects out into the forest. For example, up at, uh, up at uh, Verso in Jay, they closed a paper mill. I think it was something like 191 jobs, but it was another two or 300 in the forest. Is that, is that an accurate ratio? Yeah, that's accurate. You know, we did a, an economic impact study of uh, logging and trucking in the state of Maine as of 2014, and there were over 4,700 people employed directly in logging and trucking. And if you put the multiplier effect, that, that goes up to over 7,000. So obviously when a mill shuts down and you lose, you know, even one paper mill job, you're really looking at three to four uh, associated jobs for, for every one paper mill job. So it, it, it does ripple out, and that, that, that's kind of the unknown story that folks have to realize. Um, you know, the bad news is the bad news, but I think what, what we want to paint here is the, the opportunity and the, and, and the good news that, that can come about. And obviously we're in a place now where we're in transition, but there's major opportunity here. If, we, if there's 4 million tons yet to be harvested, Certainly, that gives uh, a new business an opportunity to invest in the state of Maine and know the resources there. And, and I think for our listeners who are going to say, talk about millions of tons and say, oh, we're going, to, we're going to cut all the forest, we're talking about sustainable forestry. And in fact, there's a lot more wood in Maine than there was 100 years ago uh, because of the regrowth. Uh, I, I just think that's important to mention that we're no, nobody's talking about cutting over and clear cutting. We're we're talking about sustainable harvesting, but we're not even we're not keeping up with growth at this point. Isn't that correct? 
That's that's absolutely correct. The Maine Forest Service has done a multitude of studies on this. You know, we've got over uh, 9 million acres of certified forest land in one of the international certification programs. Uh, we're, you know, our annual uh, yield to harvest ratio is we're actually underutilizing the forest. And if we just look at it simply and, and, and take it um, for what it's worth, you know, the forest is a garden, and it's not any different than, than weeding the, the uh, carrots in your garden in the middle of summertime so that you can increase your harvest. The forest is the same way. You have to weed that forest in, in order for it to grow, and the fact is that we have been weeding that forest very, very successfully, and, and you're absolutely right. We have more forested land in the state of Maine now than we did even 100 years ago, even with increased harvest levels and a, and a, and a, a component of mechanized harvesting and the increase in industry in the state of Maine over that time frame. Well, well give me some good news. The EDAT program, which was the federal program that uh, Susan uh, and Bruce and I uh, helped push forward, uh, I think we had seven agencies all together. They were up here last summer all uh, looking at what are the opportunities are. And the, the neat thing about that for me was the way it brought the industry together uh, in a way that I frankly hadn't seen. Uh, everybody from the loggers and the truckers to the landowners, the mills, the sawmills, biomass, uh, uh, that was a positive development even in and of itself. A very positive development, and it couldn't have happened with the, without your leadership and the leadership of uh, Senator Collins and Congressman Poliquin. But you're absolutely right; it is it is great news. I mean, as a result of that process, we the industry's come together. Our organization and three and three other organizations: the Forest Products Council, the Woodland Owners Association, and Pulp and Paper, in a way that's probably never been done in our history. And we're talking as one one unified voice, and I think that speaks volumes to you know, what we can accomplish in the state of Maine. And, and the process brought us together. It provided an opportunity to focus our efforts, focus our thoughts, and then also assess where we are as, as compared to the rest of uh, not only the country but the world. And, and that's going to set, set the stage. The results of this aren't going to be in the next day or two, but it, within the next year we're going to know where we stand, and we're also going to know what policies need to be changed, what we need to do to right the ship, and uh, really return ourselves to a, a place of prominence um, and, and that's, that's what this process has done. It's brought in a million and a half dollars in order to do the assessment. And, uh, you know, things are moving, and that's, that's the positive of all of this at this well, point. Well, and the other thing is we have to remember, and we sort of take it for granted in Maine, we're sitting on a gold mine of fiber that many, many other parts of the world just don't have, and it's becoming more and more valuable as we uh, find other uses. And, and to me, that the most exciting thing about the the EDAT process and sort of where we are is uh, that we're emphasizing the maintenance of the current industry, pulp and paper and sawmills, uh, biomass, but also developing some really amazing new uses uh, that uh, could revolutionize uh, the industry in Maine, bring new jobs, and add value. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we are, I, and I have heard you say this before, but we are the Saudi Arabia of the forest products industry. You know, we've got over 18 million acres of forest land in the state of Maine. Over 90% of our land base is forested. And I think the, the fact that we're bringing attention to the, the resource that we have is drawing attention. I spent two full days last week with, a, with an investor from British Columbia who came to visit, visit the state because they know the resource we have. They know what's transpired. They know there's opportunity. And I think that, that just is the, the tip of the iceberg. There's a multitude of folks who are looking uh, at the state. And it, it's not, not to say that it's just foreign investors or domestic investors outside the state of Maine. Even folks within the state of Maine know that there is this resource. 
and they're looking at it. And, and we're bringing attention to that, and that's important, and it's getting things moving, and, and something's going to break here in the near future just because of that resource. Well, I was pretty excited when I heard that SAPI was investing more than $100 million, as I recall, in the, in the, in the uh, Hinkley Mill, uh, which is a real vote of confidence in the industry in Maine, it seems to me. That's, that's about as good a vote of confidence as you can get. Exactly. And between that $165 million investment they announced last week and the $30 million they, they announced back in the fall, I mean, they're investing close to $200 million of additional capital in the state of Maine at a time when we all think that this is a dying industry. And obviously, a company like that with a global reach um, you know, certainly speaks volumes to where we are. Well, the other thing uh, that's pretty cool is what they're doing up at the university. I was up there a couple of weeks ago where they announced a, a signing of a, of a, uh, a kind of memorandum of understanding or a letter of intent with the Oak Ridge National Laboratory down in Tennessee uh, to work on uh, bio-based materials for 3D printing. In other words, you could print uh, an object, but, part of, but what goes into it, it wouldn't be a straight kind of plastic, but would be based upon uh, fiber from, uh, from the forest. Yeah. I and and that was an amazing amazing event a couple of weeks ago and the and the just the the sheer connection to Oak Ridge and the fact that Oak Ridge looks at the University of Maine as a kind of a gold mine to start doing more research and making that connection is is terrific and that's come out of this EDAT process and it wouldn't have happened had we not started that conversation. I mean, I had a chance to visit Oak Ridge back on December 1st um is with it, a group it, from from Reenergy. Is, is it true they've printed a car down there? It is true that you know they printed a, a, a cobra, a Shelby Cobra, out of uh, carbon, and in fact, when we were down there, they had just finished printing a uh, a 3D bamboo bar. So it was made out of wood fiber, and they took it to the Design Miami competition. And this is a bar that's that's uh, three blocks in size, and they did it with a printer. And it just shows what what can be done even with wood fiber. Now the other thing, uh, I'm working on some legislation down here to create. Uh, support creation of local owned, locally run plans for economic development, workforce training, which I know is a big deal for you. Uh, yep. That is, is is something that I think we, we really need to do because we've got to be sure we not only have the wood and the highways and the trucks, but we've got to have the people and the, infra- the, per- the, the people infrastructure. And, and uh, talk to me about that because I know that's been a big part of what you're doing. Yeah, I, in in a down economy, you always want to retrain. I mean, that's what you want to do in any down economy. You want to take advantage of that opportunity and, and utilize it and springboard it. And I think we're, we're kind of at the cusp right now. People see this as, a, as an industry. We see it as an industry in transition, but the general pu- public thinks it's dying. And if the perception is, is not necessarily the reality, but they see it as the reality, folks are going to turn away from going into programs that get them to the next step. So I think for us, for loggers and truckers, we have a, a completely mechanized industry. Ninety-five percent of the timber harvesting in Maine is done mechanically, and that means with technology. And you need p- trained people in order to operate this and, equipment. And we're not, I mean, we're not talking tr- chainsaws here. We're talking no, high technology. High technology, computer-based, GPS technology, you know, it's a roughly a million and a half dollars minimum investment to get into the industry right now. And we've got a, a graying industry as well. We've got an average age of 55-plus. Um, and as this transition goes on, there are going to be a lot of folks that are going to be weeded out of it. 
and we need to bring new folks in. We need to, to make sure that the general public understands that there is opportunity. And with training, they can, they can make an average of $45,000 in rural Maine, and I think that's a, that's a solid wa- a wage. But we need a training pipeline to get them from A to B. And we have, we're fortunate we have four high school training programs that still offer forestry and logging. Um, which is different, makes Maine different than the rest of the country. But those programs haven't had an investment in, in a new equipment since 1999. And, and Lord knows that the equipment in 99 is not the equipment of 2017. And that's, that's really what we need is we need an, uh, an investment. And, and your legislation hopefully is going to bring that about and give those programs an opportunity. And then the students who go through those programs are trained on real-world equipment. They can move on to a community college program that starts this summer, and we can – we can begin to show again that there is there is opportunity and there is training and there is equipment that can be can be utilized for that training. So well, that, it, it's all good stuff. Well, that's yeah, and that's exactly what we're working on. And and but, but the you, the key word you used and and didn't really touch on this at the beginning is rural, because one of the hard parts about the loss of the the paper mills that we've had is that they've taken place in places where there aren't a lot of other options. Uh, for employment in the rural areas of the state. So I consider this a, a key part of a rural redevelopment initiative. I, I'm, I'm thinking about all kinds of things, and you know, broadband and, and work at home and training and all of those things uh, to really revitalize. I, I've spent a lot of time in the last six months in you know, places like Milo and, and uh, Rumford and in those areas, Dixfield, and uh, we've, we've really got to help revitalize those communities. They're wonderful places to live, great people, but you got to have jobs up there. And so that's what's so exciting to me about this, all of this that we're talking about is it's, we're, we're focused on the areas that really, uh, really need the jobs. Yeah. And logging and trucking, Senator, is the backbone of rural Maine. It always has been, and it hopefully always will be. But you're, you're absolutely right. If, if we don't keep a rural sense of place in the state of Maine, we're really going to lose our history. And we need to make sure there's opportunity to keep people in rural Maine. And technology will bring that about. Broadband will be important to our industry as we move forward. Providing training, because folks know there's, there's job opportunity, will keep them in rural Maine. But if we continue to, to lose that backbone, you know, we're going to continue to lose rural Maine. And I think this EDAP process, I've said it before and I'll say it again, this is the we're writing the first chapter in this comeback story. We need we need rural Maine to come back because that defines our state. And without it, where where are we? It doesn't. We, we don't continue to be a special place without our rural sense of place. And and you and I are guilty of using acronyms. EDAT is Economic Development Assessment Team. That was the that was the all hands on deck group that uh, came from I think as I said seven agencies of the federal government plus the industry and a lot of work in Maine over the last year, and uh, now it's time to execute. And Dana, uh, you're a key part of this. Uh, you have been from the beginning, and I, I want to express my thanks because uh, it, without the support of the industry, uh, we, we, we couldn't really accomplish anything. But as you said, the industry's pulled together in a, in a really amazing way, and uh, I think we're just getting, getting going. Well, I appreciate that, Senator, and I'm flattered by that. But without without you, you know your attention to this and Senator Collins and Congressman Poliquin, it, you know it's a team effort, and that's what it comes. There's no I in team, 
and uh, <laughs> what we're what we're producing is a is a joint effort, and that's that's Maine. I mean, if you want anything that epitomizes who we are, we're a community, and we get things done as a community, and that's exactly what we're doing now. So that's thanks a, to you as well. Those are those are great words to uh, to end upon. And uh, Dana, thanks for your work, and uh, we'll be in touch. I'll probably I think I'm going to see you uh, uh, in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, thanks again, and uh, we're going to talk uh, next. Uh, with a young man who grew up in Millinocket, Maine, went out into the big wide world and is now giving back to his community in a big way with some pretty exciting initiatives up there. Uh, Thanks, Dana, and stay tuned as we're Inside Maine. Good morning and welcome back to Inside Maine. We're talking about the forest products industry in Maine today, where it's been, but more particularly where it's going, and particularly focused on redevelopment and revitalization of some of our rural areas and the towns that have been hard hit by losses in the forest products industry. We're talking now to Sean DeWitt. Sean has a very interesting background, grew up in Millinocket, uh, went to Stearns High School and then went on uh, from there to do all kinds of things. A consultant for Price Waterhouse Coopers, uh, Intel, the Walt Disney Company has a, a master's in development finance, uh, uh, industrial engineering degree. Uh, but now he's involved with a really great and fascinating group called Arkatadin. Sean, uh, welcome and tell us about Arkatadin. Great. Thank you so much, Senator King. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Arkatadin uh, was born uh, about two years ago now uh, as a nonprofit when when the mill stacks came down in Millinocket. And these mill stacks, you know, they've been around for a long, long time. They were sort of the, you know, the hallmark of our skyline. And they they came down in November of 2014. And it was around that time. I think you know many of us are seeing the videos on Facebook and. And it really broke our hearts. You know, it was really. It was. I knew it was the end of an era. Yeah, I think. (laughs) I think people in Southern Maine can't really realize what the emotional effect of of that physical change was in in Millinocket to see those stacks and and that mill just literally go away. Yeah, yeah. It was. It really was. There was something. There was something missing, not only in our our skyline, but in suddenly in our heritage. And. You know, many of us were living, you know, we all, many of us that grew up there, we, you know, we're living in different parts of the country, some in Bangor, some in Portland, Boston, New York, D.C., and elsewhere. And, you know, for quite a while, at least for me and, and some of my friends, we started talking on Facebook. It was like, how do we help things back home? How do we support what's going on? And, uh, you know, it kind of struck us that maybe maybe what we needed to do was create a bit of a platform so that um, all the talented people that, that we're in the Katahdin region, you know, in Medway, East Millinocket, Millinocket. We know there's great ideas. We know there's stuff already going on. We know that volunteerism has always had a strong, uh, you know, strong history in our region, but we just didn't know kind of what, where it was happening, how to help. So we thought, let's create a platform. You know, let's not pretend that we have the answers, you know, for our region. You know, we've been, a lot of us have been gone for a long time. But, but let's, you know, the answer we did have was we know there's good people there. We know there's good ideas. And if we could try to create a platform online that could sort of shine a light on those ideas, then we could start to attract money and, and additional ideas and volunteers much faster than probably what's happening today. And it was really about leveraging the diaspora a bit, you know, of, of our mill towns. And, and region, I have to interrupt. Know. I mean, I have, what's really, amazing and cool about this is using the the technology uh the f- facebook and and an online website presence and and communication to come back together uh, virtually 
uh, in order to support the region where uh, you guys grew up. It's incredibly cool. And, and the nice thing is, like, not only are we you know, helping with community and economic development, which is the mission, we're also having a great time reconnecting you know, on, <laughs> these, on these kinds of things. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We have now, I think, more than 3,500 Facebook likes. And we're joking. It's like we're getting close to the population of Millinocket. And I think we're beyond the population of East Millinocket and, and Medway now. Um, but there is there's a really robust diaspora. We were fortunate to grow up um, there when we did. We got a great education. It's afforded us to do a lot of things. And I think everyone's having a great time, you know, really engaging again with folks in the diaspora and back home to try to get some ideas moving. But it's not it's it's, it's not just uh, social and, and nostalgia. You guys bought the mill site. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, it, it, <laughs> that was definitely a big step, you know. So if, in terms of you know, where we started, we started with really just community projects. Uh, we started by decorating our, our bandstand, which was a bit of a, a cultural icon in our community. Um, in the beginning, and that was a $600 project. We raised the money in a day or two. Um, we've done, I think, now 22 of those kinds of projects, and again, led by local leaders. We we, we champion those on our website. Um, and then, yeah, about I guess seven or so months ago, um, we were approached by the former owners of the site, who said, you know, we really want to see something happening on that site. We've we've been impressed with what you guys have done on the community side. I know this is a big step for you, but would you consider? Um, you know, to try to help lead this site into the next chapter. Um, and after a lot of discussion and a lot of head scratching and trying to understand, like, are we, are we best positioned to do it? We we uh, we thought we were, and and so you know now it's it's trying to apply that same that same approach of a couple things. One is let's break this big problem down into some small wins and let's start chipping away at this. But also having a big vision, and and you know we do believe there's a reason that that mill site was put there to begin with, um, and ran you know, eleven paper machines and was one of the largest newsprint operations in the world, is that it's got the right assets. It's got the right natural assets. Um, it's got the right people assets. And it's got the right industrial assets that were built over time. And so while, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of those industrial assets need work, um, you know, and, you know, on the people side, there's still a lot of great people there. We need to attract some additional people to come back home. But we believe all those things are possible in time. And we'd like to, what we'd like to see, you know, for 100 and 15 years, there was one owner-operator on that site, and it's 1,400 acres, right? So this will be the third largest industrial site in Maine. Um, now, what's not needed is one owner-operator. What's needed is, you know, a more vibrant, um, you know, a, a larger number of companies, a smaller set of companies um, that could operate on that site um, and take advantage of all those assets, uh, but also make us a more resilient economy than we've been in the past. Well, if there's anything I've learned about economic development, you're probably better off with 1,000 person companies than 1,000 person company because you you're, you you just have more you have a more diverse base and and you're less subject to disasters. Absolutely, Senator King. We, we couldn't agree more. We couldn't agree more. So you own the site. You've worked out a uh, deal with the town council to uh, let the taxes ride for a while. And, and is the plan to – are you now developers? Are you now looking for uh, people that might want to uh, do uh, anything or any, everything on that site? Is that, the, is that sort of where it stands? Yeah, yeah. So we're sort of wearing three hats right now. So one is, um, as you mentioned, the, the town gave us a six-month period to uh, negotiate the the prior tax liens, and also what we're looking to do is just to structure a private, uh, sorry, a public-private partnership with the town of Millinocket um, for the site as well. Um, the second thing is uh, looking through the other liabilities. You know, there are some additional liabilities on the site, um, some some um, funding that's owed to the IRS. 
there's some uh, some environmental permits that we're working through that still need to be paid, and so so we're. We're, we're one by one going through the liabilities and understanding, you know, how to resolve those issues. Um, and then the third is, um, yes, wearing that developer hat. Uh, and we've been, you know, we've been pleased, you know, while we know this is this is going to be a multi-year, probably a decadal kind of process that we're engaging on. Um, it's great that we've had, you know, already conversations with six or seven folks that are quite interested in the site. Um, and, you know, again, there, there's still, you know, a, a range of things that need to happen in well, order for them to be able to do. That, that, but site, there is interest, that site has. You, you, there are a lot of assets. Uh, there's hydropower available. Brookfield has the has the power, so we've got clean power. There's doesn't the three ring binder run nearby? There's high speed internet available. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that, that's a huge asset, um, and and so we are heavily investing in broadband as one of the enabling conditions. It's, we see it as sort of you know the the electricity of this century. It's sure. something you need to have, and a three ring binder does. It runs right down Katahdin Avenue in our town, which is which is right where the mill site is. Well, so for, it, for, it, it's right there. For our listeners, the three ring binder is a is a major uh, high speed internet highway that runs throughout Maine. That was built back about eight or nine years ago, and now it's a question of connecting up, if you will. And the fact that it runs right next to your town is like in, in 100 years ago having a river running through your town where you could make power. Now you can make information. So it's a it's a big asset, and uh, it just uh, it's a wonderful. Uh, I wouldn't I don't know if I'd call it a coincidence because they knew where they were putting it, but it's it's a, it certainly is going to play a big part in the future of this site. It seems to me. Absolutely. No, we couldn't agree more. You know, when you look at things like data centers, um, you know, we, we have the water they need, we have the power they need, we have a cool climate they need. Um, but then with the three ring binder, you really have a full package there. So there, I think there's a lot, you know, in, in terms of the, you know, the bio-based economy, there's a lot of things that can be done, but also in terms of the digital economy, um, thanks to the three ring binder um, and the other natural assets, I think there's a lot that can be done on that site as well. Well, I'm so still we're, carrying, we're your, I'm carrying your brochures around that you got for me about six <laughs> months ago. And anytime I'm with anybody that's in the data business, I say, hey, there's this cool place up in Maine. You won't even need to use much air conditioning, which is a big, a big factor. <laughs> So uh, it is. Well, we're uh, grateful. I'll, I'll keep in touch with you. No commissions necessary, but uh, <laughs> we're grateful. Senator. We're, uh, <laughs> but and, and the other piece is this EDAT process. I was talking to Dana Duran of the Loggers, and and that's helped to focus attention on on what some of these options are, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can help. Uh, you know, one of the things is broadband, and you can have the the uh, you can have the three ring binder, you can have the super highway, but we still got to figure out how to build the off ramps and the side streets in order to in order to make it uh, really uh, a valuable asset for these kinds of developments. Absolutely, and you know, just to say that it's. <laughs> It's processes like EDAT that gave us the confidence to, to purchase the mill site to begin with, because, I mean, this, this is a big leap of faith for us. I mean, we, we believe firmly in the economic future of the Katahdin region. But, you know, as a group of volunteers, it's, it's, it's often intimidating for us to think about how we'll put these pieces together. But, but what EDAT is doing is, is really shining a light on how the federal agencies um, can marshal support for what we're doing. And... Reducing the transaction cost of trying to understand that tremendously, um, and when we saw the two priorities in the EDAT report around, you know, redeveloping and 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 repurposing Maine's closed pulp and paper sites, um, but also around diversifying and strengthening Maine's rural economy, we, we really started to see our narrative playing out in the EDAT process, and and so 
you know, for us, and, and I think also for the federal agencies, it's great to be able to spend some time like in these communities and hearing directly from people and, and just building the, building those bridges um, is worth its weight in gold. And, and, and so for us, we're, we're really excited about the process and, and, you know, we please see us as a, as a test case in any way that any way we could be helpful or any way we could be a test case. Like, please, we're, we're there. Well, we're I, I think what you guys are doing is amazing and it's important to emphasize this is a nonprofit. Do, you, you people are, you, you know, you people, the, the folks that have come together to do this are people that love the region, love the people and are giving back in a, in an enormous way. So, uh, I look forward to continuing to work with you and, uh, it's, uh, it's a very exciting proposition and, and, uh, of course, anything we can do down here to help, but, uh, uh, you've got you've got you've got a lot to, to a lot to work with up there. It's uh, it's an amazing area, and it's just great to see new life and and new activity in uh, in in uh, that region. Thank you. Perfect. Well, thank you, Senator King, for all your support, and we look forward to, to working with you and your team uh, in the in the road ahead. Thanks, thanks, Sean, and uh, good luck, and keep in touch. Okay, you as well. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. That's our program today on Inside Maine, talking about the revitalization of the forest products industry in Maine, rebuilding our rural communities, and some pretty cool opportunities. It's not all bad news. There's a great future, and that's what we're trying to create. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you later.